Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 451 on Tuesday, the 25th of January, 2022. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where someone checked the oil in their car about 76 times before driving it on a track, we're feeling like Nostradamus over news about insurance premiums. We're amazed to hear that speed isn't the only factor in car incidents. And we almost heard the champagne popping open in Cumbria from where we live. But first... We have a bit of follow-up, two little bits of follow-up. These are more, both these uh, items are more, click on the links to, to find out more about it. But we talked about last week the changes in the highway code. Mm-hmm. And we said you need to, you really need to pay attention to this. You need to understand it because at certain points, it's fundamentally changing who has rights of way and that sort of stuff. Mm. Now, the mainstream media outlets got hold of this at the weekend and clearly didn't listen to what we said. For some of them have put out some, frankly, nonsense and scaremongering about this. It's like they try, well... It's not the first time some of these these journals have done that. No, it it is not. But we've got a, a link to a Guardian article which goes to explain why you need to ignore what was said and these are the actual rules it's reiterating what was in the parkers article so please do go read it because these are coming to force from the 29th i think it is i believe it was yes we all need to know it and we all need to be able to understand it whether you are a pedestrian all the way up to a, a lorry driver fundamentally it's a formalism of what should have been happening anyway yes that's the key takeaway from it Mm-hmm. Uh, second little piece of follow-up is to do with uh, the Mayor of London and the daily charge for non-electric vehicles. Remember, we sort of scratched our heads a little bit about this last week because we couldn't work out how £2 a day was going to work out better than the £11 a day or whatever whatever it is. But right at the minute, it's not 11 it's gone up, hasn't it? I just, I just don't drive into London when you have to pay the ULAs. Uh, when you have, oh gee, when you have to pay the congestion charge. Mm. Uh, but the idea is the two pounds a day is is basically any car that isn't electric or that isn't a zero tailpipe emission vehicle uh, would have to pay the the, the the two pounds a day. That's a stepping stone towards paper mile road charging, which supposedly is is where um, Sadiq Khan would like to be. Shall we move on to new news? Yes. And this is uh, an investigation by BBC Panorama. And they have found or suggested that the failure for deaths in road traffic incidents to be reduced between 2010 and 2019, um, that's following three decades of that figure falling. Mm -hmm. They are suggesting that at the same time, there was a 15% fall in police officers who were dedicated to uh, enforcing road laws. Basically traffic police. Yes. That's basically it. Now, this is something we have said since we started this show, that just the visibility of the police makes a huge difference in people's behaviour. You know it yourself if, if you're driving along, and you can see it in others. It is unsurprising that this has happened or that th- this conclusion has been come to. So, uh, because... In that 2010 to 2019, cars have got safer and safer as well. Yeah, it's true. 
Uh, that this article does go on. I mean, it involves. Oh, gee whiz! It involves a, a it includes a little bit of snippet of interview with the AA president, Sir Edmund King, who will jump on any passing bandwagon, and and this seemed to be a pretty good one for him. But it does point out that 523 of the 1,110 fixed speed cameras um, are inactive. Yeah, none of them in Northamptonshire is one of the things I'm pointing out here, and I think most of us who live in Northamptonshire know that. But I think that what you were just saying about the visibility of the police is very, very true. So I was out today, and one of the uh, one of the Northamptonshire police uh, safety camera vans was parked just not far from the house, a couple of hundred meters from the house. And I'm always pleased to see that because that road to the industrial estate, people race along it mm. at a ridiculous speed when it's a thirty zone. Yeah. And so, do you know what? I'm quite happy to see camera vans and things like that out because they are more effective than just a speed camera yep. and that's actually what northampton has done so what's mentioned here is not actually a reflection of it it's actually sure they've turned the cameras off but they've actually increased the visibility and the chance that you know the camera vans could could be just about anywhere mm. and even when you've seen them warn you about the camera vans sometimes you forget <laughs> yes anyway it was a very interesting afternoon's speed course but not from the road round the corner no i should should point out well talking of speed do you want to talk about williams advanced engineering yeah so williams grand prix engineering and of course its new owner emk capital have sold off this williams advanced engineering which was their sort of clever engineering arm for developing stuff that wasn't necessarily to do with race cars sometimes it was used in race cars so for example first generation of formula e cars had part of their drivetrain i can't remember which part so i'm not gonna be more specific of their drivetrain um you know built and engineered by williams advanced engineering mclaren has a similar setup because actually they built the other part of the drivetrain for the for first generation formula e cars but no Obviously, EMK Capital are looking to focus on the racing side of, of Williams. So they've sold it off to an Australian company called Fortescue Metals Group for £164 million. Pounds. They're looking to, and they use lots of words like decarbonize and synergies and all sorts of things like that. They even use capabilities as a word. Jolly good. <laughs> to sort of find other applications for basically the clever, clever stuff mm. that, that Williams Advanced Engineering develops. Supposedly, one of the first projects under Fortescue will be uh, cleaner systems for freight trains, partly because the company's fleet of trains, because it's an Australian mining company, currently burns through 400 to 450 million litres of diesel a year. That's quite a lot. Yes. Well, Australia is jolly big. Quite, <laughs> it is quite large. And to be honest, they're carrying an awful lot of ore and whatever else yeah. there. But I think that that's, that's going to be interesting. Be interesting to see where they go, if they can still. I imagine they'll still use them uh, as, as their own business business arm of itself to to, to work for third parties as well as yeah. their own internal project. Yeah, I would imagine so. I think it's a rather strange divestment, to be perfectly honest. But hey, what do I know about running Grand Prix teams? Yeah. Uh, but good luck to everybody there. Um, mm. I mean, you've got Absolutely. a company who wants you to do things, so that's 
a start. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, the thing is, it's a company that actually does things as opposed to just another investment company who's yeah. just there to asset strip and whatever else. They have a plan for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. I'm going to take us up to the Northeast. And mm-hmm. the news that British Vault has secured through a combination of private and government funding, $1.7 billion for their, and let's clarify this for everybody in the automotive media, battery factory, because even the BBC is calling it a battery factory now, so I think we can drop the hype. But moving on from that, this is great news because they're going to be starting in 2024, and it now looks like they've got the cash that they needed to really push that forward, which is excellent news. There was no declared amount from the UK government, but it's understood to be, according to this Autocar article, in the region of £100 million. That's actually quite a small percentage of that investment. Yes, it is. This is more good news for the UK battery industry. I mean, there's talk of the Coventry one getting more backing Mm. it's going to be a good thing isn't it because at some point these factories are also going to do the recycling yes and we i know we've we were talking about voila voila is that how you pronounce it violia violia sorry last week and how they're going to be recycling so that's an important key element of all this ecosystem as it were Mm -hmm. don't forget this isn't going to be the only new battery plant in the northeast because envision are going to be building uh, a plant that is joins on to the Nissan factory in Sunderland. So it will supply the batteries for the leaf replacement crossover thingy, uh, which will be due in 2024. That's three significantly sized battery factories uh, looking to come on online in the next short while. That That's quite impressive, really. Mm, yes, it is. It really is. Yeah. Earlier on, we were talking about London, and you were saying things were definitely not, uh, obviously not not a tax to drive into London, not at all. <laughs> so Leicester, uh, however, are being a little bit less, I don't know. Cagey? <laughs> I was going to say less subtle. Cagey? Yeah, well, they're calling it a workplace parking le- levy. And instead of taxing cars uh, ent- entering Leicester, which is a historic city laid out on a Roman grid. Not normally how I would describe Leicester, but never mind. There, it's I can't even give a straight face at that. But no, they're looking to put put in place a workplace parking levy. Companies uh, within Leicester with more than ten parking spaces for employees are going to be charged five hundred and fifty pounds a year per space from next year and supposedly it's going to be up to employers to decide whether to absorb the cost themselves or to pass it on to staff but it's said that it could raise 450 million pounds in the next decade to invest in a new fleet of electric buses an expanded cycle network and train station renovations or on the other hand you could see no benefits whatsoever but hey that's local council for you yeah Yes, and they also discussed that uh, because obviously the the highlight of people on lower income being hit, mm. um, particularly because companies will most likely pass that on, that, mm. that cost, um, that uh, they said, well, you could charge higher earners more. I was like, yeah, okay, that's really going to go down well. 
I yeah, no. I understand why they're trying to do it because Nottingham's done it, and it's in this it's in this Guardian mm. article. Nottingham's done it, and they say we've only seen eight point six percent changes in uh, people's uh, yeah. travel behaviour, which implies that it hasn't worked in order to get people out of mm-hmm. cars, which is yeah. one of the claims of these systems. But you have raised an awful lot of money, <laughs> thankfully, because people do- haven't. Because most people just shrug their shoulders and try and stumble on. And that's why I find these quite cynical, I have to say. Yeah, oh, they are, incredibly. There is one part here uh, where Leicester City Council is saying, trying to emulate the 15-minute city model championed by Mayor of Paris and Hidalgo, where all essential amenities can be reached within a 15-minute walk or cycle. If your city has come together as a result of a number of small villages merging and there are many sort of central shopping points around the place, then yes, you can do that because that's what Paris is like. Paris is a select collection of, of, of villages jammed together. Leicester is not. And if you're saying that Leicester's a relatively compact city and a quarter of all car journeys are less than 1.25 miles with the average journey of three miles, you should really be questioning why it is that people aren't walking those short mm. those short journeys. What mm. is it that's stopping them? Because I'll bet you it's not it's not the cost of parking. No, no. What is it, why is it why is it so hard for people to make short journeys on foot or by cycle? And that's really what you should be looking at, not yeah. parking spaces in the middle of the town. It, it just seems weird, this one. I do despair that a lot of the th- the thinking that is prevalent in getting people to change their... I mean, we, we, all, we know this, and we've discussed this many times, but we know that we have to change our, our mindset on this, and we have to start mm. considering what is the best way for me to do this journey. Not Oh, I'll just jump in the car, which is what we've done because we've we've had decades and decades of the car is the thing. So we are we invariably automatically think, oh, I'll just jump in the car, even for like four hundred yards to go somewhere, just because it's going to be quicker or whatever. Or in, in even in our mind, even though it isn't, hmm. by the time you find a place to park and then you get out and you do the thing, then you get back in on all that. But I I do despair that the only idea that these systems can come up with is beat someone with a stick by taking money off them it's always stick first carrot later yeah um with with any of these things it, and again it, it's the usual level of short-sightedness and cynicism that we meet all of these things with so let's move on yes to another similar story <laughs> it's tied it's linked it's it's so incredibly linked really it is that uh, chris boardman is going to uh, be the lead for active travel england which is going to start he's going to start working in the summer and this is to help encourage the improvement of infrastructure and what we were just discussing getting us to shift our minds into thinking how we're going to make the journey particularly short journeys whether it's rural or city routes and listening to or look reading the comments that he comes out with in this BBC news article he's 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 realistic mm-hmm. and he's pragmatic because he does acknowledge that rural roads are trickier and they will not get an improvement to infrastructure 
as quickly as urban roads. So we need to work at the same time as working on getting the infrastructure right in urban areas is helping to educate drivers, linking back to the highway code change, educating drivers and getting us when we're behind the wheel to appreciate cyclist needs to keep them safe and to encourage more people to cycle. It's not just cyclists, it's pedestrians as well. Yeah. Because I know that some people have this irrational hatred of cyclists. And then you go to London, you think that's a bit much. And then you go to London, you think, now I understand why people hate cyclists. This sounds interesting. It sounds like it goes hand in hand with what we were talking about before as well. And and when you look at it, the actual costs to, to do this are a tiny fraction uh, of the amount of money that, that councils say that they could raise. Yeah. I mean, I'm a bit worried about the amounts of cash involved here. I, I don't know whether that is just for Active Travel England or whether that is for schemes across the mm. country. I'm hoping it's just for Active Travel England to do a marketing PR, educational campaigns, and it's not they're going to be handing out funding for actual infrastructure change because that's that's nowhere near enough. No, no, exactly. I agree. I agree. Uh, Shall we move on to our Nostradamus story of the end of last year? The most predictable <laughs> thing to happen ever, 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 ever. Yes. <laughs> so new legislation came in in the UK at the beginning of the year, which said that if you are a if you are an existing customer of a a, a motor insurance company, then whenever they offer you your renewal, they're not allowed to price creep up the way every year. They have to give you the same price as they would give you if you were coming to them as a new customer. Obviously, instead of premiums going down and matching the new customer level, the price that's paid by new customers has gone up. And because the price that's paid by new customers has gone up, then the price for everyone can go up. So there's been a massive increase in the price of car insurance premiums. Yay, well done. In just the first two weeks of the year. In, well, yes, in just the first two weeks of the year, the cost of a car insurance premium has gone up £64 against the, the, against the, the equivalent last year. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. They were, they were told this. The FCA was told this. They were warned this would happen. And all the campaigners went, oh, no, look, we've won this one. It's like, no, you, how stupid are you? I mean, Frank, well, clearly, very, is the answer. Well, of course they are. £65 a year extra stupid is what they are. <laughs> I, I did, that said, I was, that said, I was reading this article. It's on Yes Auto. Link as ever in the show notes. And I was reading through it, and it was saying that the average motor insurance premium in the UK is £679. And I was thinking, I insured two cars for that. Maybe it's because I'm old. Is it because I'm old, Andrew? Yes. But I looked at these and thought, wow, that's quite expensive. Don't forget, lots of people have incidents and make claims. Oh, okay. Yes, that's true, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agreed. Agreed. I'm just saying it did I looked at the prices there and thought, oh. But yes, it's it's just so incredibly predictable. Yeah. Painfully predictable. Oh blah, blah, blah. we'll it's, just go into a long rant. It, if we stick on this, we'll go into a long rant. Let's yeah. move on, please. Yes, we're gonna we're gonna move on to Jaguar Land Rover. And news that Matt Becker has joined them. He is the ex Aston Martin chassis boss. But he's joining the company just before Mike Cross, 
who has been with the company for 37 years and was official title is vehicle targets and sign off director. It's a sign off bloke. <laughs> yeah. So he's the one that made sure that, that JLR cars felt like JLR cars. Yeah. Felt, sounded, were. And the touchy feely just were basically. Yeah. Really important job. Yeah, so he he joined the company as an apprentice and worked his way all all the way up to that. But uh, Becker is not going to replace Cross because Jaguar Land Rover are still trying to find uh, a replacement for Nick Rogers, who was the engineering boss who left last year. Becker is going to answer to whoever the new engineering boss is. They still haven't decided on what his title is. Uh, and everything, so I think I think there's still negotiations going on. But Becker was supposed to be going to McLaren, but that didn't happen for whatever reason. It didn't happen because reasons. And quite frankly, if he, literally here, he just has to sort of go into a different entrance at the same site, pretty much. Yes, <laughs> it's not exactly a, a big shift. But no, if if uh, I think if you're looking for anyone to to replace someone. As important and experienced as Mike Cross, then Matt Becker is is one of the is is definitely should be pretty much the front runner, I think. Yeah, because he's ex Lotus as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. They used to appear against each other in um, the, Autocar. Used to do a sort of drift battle of lots of testing people and and and, and folk from across racing and the automotive industry and stuff. And and I do seem to remember Mike Cross winning it at least once uh and matt becker being in it as well from from memory um and both doing mighty well in but, it and sort of showing up some of those some of the racers and drifters and stuff that people who were <laughs> really were in it to win it so to speak and, and these sort of middle-aged chaps would sort of turn up and rest stuff sideways well i know when it was announced there was lots of really warm comments about becker so uh, he sounds like he, as you say, he sounds like the right the right man for the right company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. Do you want to take us to Japan, but not in a Land Cruiser? No, I would love to take us to Japan in a Land Cruiser. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, it's a Toyota story of the week, it seems. And it's fallen to me. Can you guess who it was that did the show line? I want to make it clear. All the stories I had no time to spend being yeah. clever or funny, they have just fallen in the order they have. Yes. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, I know that because we've both been a bit the same the, the, today and yesterday. Uh, but yes, Toyota, new land cruiser, the one with the grill. When you say grill, you mean six or seven foot high grill. Yes, basically. Uh, but the new land cruiser, you could be waiting up to four years for it. That's the length of time they are currently quoting. Supposedly, for a change, it's nothing to do with global chip shortages, nothing to do with supply chain crises. It's just that it's really, really popular and they're still ramping up production. Yeah, one thing I saw about it was that it was something to do with they misjudged how many would want it in Japan and they've sent the Japanese allocation everywhere else because it's doing so well. Yeah, yeah. Are you can they've uh, I see that there's some people were driving the Lexus badged version in the US as well. Yes, they've been sort of caught on the hop with just how um just how popular this this latest Land Cruiser is. Great problem to have. Oh yeah, yeah, terrible. Mm. Talking of popular things though, Alan, as we end part one, what about our m- sweet, sweet merch? 
Well, yes, of course, we've got our new popular merch. And because this is Guilt Minute, the quick break in the show, and we ask for a tad of financial support to keep the lights on and the hosting running, then it's my duty to remind you not just that if you feel the Motoring Podcast is worth a small consideration every month and you can become a patron, but also that we have some sweet, sweet merch available. If you go to motoringpodcast.com slash support, then there is a link there to our Teespring store. We've where we've refreshed our merchandise offering with our new weekly features, logo, branding, design. <laughs> I couldn't think of a name for it when I was doing it. Uh, we understand, of course, if you don't have any spare cash, then the best way that you can help us is by following for free from a podcast player to receive every show as they're released and by liking and rating the show in whatever way your podcast supplier lets you. If you've done all of that, and we do love those of you who do, so thank you very, very much. Then the last thing you can do is to recommend us to your friends or colleagues. Yes, thank you to each and every one of you who does do that, and we know you do. Yes. Right, WRC, it's back! Whoa, what a weekend it was as well. Yes, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Did not disappoint. So, all these doom mongers said, no, rally one, it's going to be rubbish. Mm. Yeah. yeah, they're hybrid, they're silent, they're nothing. They're, what? Yes. Not from what I saw. No, Brilliant no they weren't. <laughs> what a rally. Uh, I, I think we were all overexcited that it was coming back and that there were the new cars. And we, we weren't, shortchanged at all i don't think in the end sebastian loeb claimed his 80th wrc win and it was the first one in any other team but citroen and it was for m sport who had their first win since rally gb 2018 Mm -hmm. but not only that his co-driver isabel galmish was the first female competitor to win since 1997 Oh, sorry. I only saw the Top Gear headline on that. That got changed quickly. Did it? Yeah. Really? Where it pointed out that Sebastian Loeb and a maths teacher had won the Monte Carlo rally, which was, I don't know, that's quite spectacularly It was poor thought. I I understand what they were trying to say. Yes. But I doubt they would have said it if it was a bloke. No. Well, uh, I'm a... I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. But they fixed it, so that's the main thing. They did, yes. Yeah. Ogier was second. In the end, he was second by 10 and a half seconds. Now, there's a story to this, because he dropped nine and a half seconds when he got a a puncture because he cut a corner far too far, Mm -hmm. where like everybody watching it went, why has he cut that much at the time? Oh, yeah, he shouldn't have done. But then... He clawed back uh, nine seconds in the final stage, but then got a 10-second penalty because he jump-started. He was so keen to get off the line. But that goes to show how fast Ogier is, which we, we didn't not think he was because he only stopped being full-time eight weeks ago. Hmm. Can you imagine driving? You're driving point to point, and your car gets a gets a puncture and so you only turn up nine set nine and a half seconds late Mm. i mean that's just nuts in itself really isn't it yeah craig breen was uh third so that's m sport first and third so brilliant result for m sport 
I'm so pleased for them, especially because on uh, day one, or was it Saturday? One of the days. Yeah. Day one, there was a massive accident for Formo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was Friday, I think it was. Uh, he missed his breaking point. He clipped a bank and then basically just disappeared off the edge. The the safety of these new cars. I mean, it, there was there was uh, basically the the driver cell left. Really. Yeah, there was the I roll mean, cage and a couple of panels still stuck on <laughs> like this. But if you saw the video of how fast he was going as he went off, I, it's I amazing. And then that. they walked away. By the way, they're all right. Him and his co-driver are fine. So that's that's amazing. I think the shock, but not shock of the weekend, is how awful Hyundai were. It does seem that way. Absolutely appalling. And and the thing is that they were far more visible in their testing in the lead up to this. But they weren't. They're not ready. I I was watching the Dirtfish highlights mm-hmm. each night where they were doing a roundup, and they were just saying they're not ready. Not even nearly ready. And there was seemed to be nobody um, heading up the team. Wow. Neville criticised Solberg, which would not have happened under Adamo, for stopping on the third day of having the engine fumes pour into his car. Hmm. I, I think there will be some toes meeting some bottoms uh, after that kind of but thing. But from who? There's, well, there's no from team principle. Up. But there's no team principle. I mean higher up than that still. Ot Tanek had a dreadful one. He smashed mm-hmm. it up so much it couldn't continue. Solberg had to retire. Novell, I mean, you looked at him at the end of it, he was absolutely shattered. He clearly gave everything he could. But mm. if you're coming out of the car on day one going, this car's scary. Uh, yes, exactly. No, no, I, I know. It doesn't, it doesn't they, they desperately need a, a team principal. They desperately need... By the sounds of it, another three, four months of testing. They always say you can't really judge what's going to happen in WRC until at least Mexico. Mm. So we'll just have to see. I mean, this was the very first rally, brand new cars, say in some cases as a new team setup as well. But I think that overall, I don't know how this could have gone much better for WRC. The only thing that I was thinking as I was watching it Mm-hmm. Is with the words of the FIA president about we don't we need superstars, not winners. More cars, more stuff. And the superstars are two chaps who are only doing this part time. Yeah, I I agree, I agree. But around that, it looks like they have. I mean, this this let's let's not uh, overlook the fact that these new Rally One cars have had a rushed and troubled gestation. Yes, they looked pretty reliable, but it looked well. It looks like that's come out quite well. the The drivetrain side of things seemed to be okay. They gave enough spectacle as a result of that. Yeah, there was definitely pace, definitely speed. There was definitely excitement. Find it hard to believe Hyundai will be there thereabouts at all. It's how long M Sport can stay up with Toyota. I think because Craig Breen drove. Uh, this is with a very small C, conservatively, <laughs> to make it round, and he was third. Mm-hmm. Will he, I think, will he maintain, because it's, it's, if this continues, then it's him and uh, Evans fighting. 
Yes. Well, but let's just see. Let's try not to make any predictions because right now, frankly, you need a crystal ball. Anything you say is just going to be pure speculation. You know, let, let's see what happens. I'm looking yeah. forward to following this this year. Yep, absolutely. Really am. Yep. Um, it looks like it's going to be, it, it looks good. Mm. Early signs show it, so it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is absolute lack of new, new cars this week. Nothing that stands out in any way, shape, or form that's worth discussing. Uh, obviously, if you, dear PRs, felt that your car should have been discussed, then do let us know. <laughs> so let's jump to a lunchtime read. Lunchtime read is an older article, which has actually just been put up on the Evo website. And it is from the My Life and Cars feature. Uh, and it's uh, our friend, uh, Shami Kaura, um, obviously founder of Omlegato uh, uh, Watches and general... I didn't say car enthusiast, general enthusiastic chap generally. Yes. Uh, I think. So it's good. It gives a nice, if you want something shorter than the five hours worth of worth of rear view or whatever it was that you recorded <laughs> because the pair of you gassed for so long. It's a, it's a two-parter. I'm sure Andrew will put a link in the show notes uh, to, to Shami's rear view. This is, this is only a few hundred words and, and takes significantly less time to, to read. To find out a little bit more about Shami and, and some of his background. And, and he's quite old. The, the actual article itself is from the end of 2000. Yeah, December 2020. Yeah. End of 2000. I meant 2020. Uh, but it's only just two years, you know, just over two years later, it's gone. Uh, uh, just over a year later, it's gone live on the on, on the Evo website. Yep. List of the week, Andrew. Mm, list of the week. And this is from Autocar. It's a slideshow. And it seems to work at the moment on my computer now. That's all. That's the that's the only guarantee I can give. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it seems to be working for me as well. So there we go. That's as good as you get with an autocar slideshow. I think. But this is the cars that help save the company, and there are thirty nine slides where they have picked one particular model that they feel helps save whatever company that's from. So <laughs> looking in all this, Alan. Is there one particular car that stands out to you, whether you like it a lot or whether you think it was more important than maybe another company's car and all the rest of it? Land Rover Discovery from 1989, the Mark I three-door. Very good choice. Very good choice. That was my number two. Was it? Uh, I did That and come on, powder blue Conran design cabin. <laughs> but seriously, it really was. I mean, it was. it was a... It was a landmark car, not just for Land Rover, but also for the whole affordable semi-lifestyle SUV for people who maybe didn't necessarily need an SUV really, but just wanted to have one. Mm. Um, I I think that the Discovery was the first, certainly, to make that idea pretty mainstream here in the UK and attainable to start with. So what about you? There's 38, so surely you can choose another one. Uh, again, it's quite modern. I'm, I went for the Skoda Octavia. Yeah. Uh, ooh, I saved the company. Oh, you see, that one surprised me slightly because I would have said the Fabia did that. But I can see that there's an equivalent argument. I think the Fabia started it, but the the, the Octavia was the one that made it mainstream. Mm, okay. I, yeah. I would suggest that that's the one where people stopped being particularly badge snobby. Yeah, I'll give you that, especially when the VRS came The on. Fabia people were going, no, this is a really good car. We should drop this badge snobbery, whereas the Octavia people just dropped the badge snobbery, mm-hmm. particularly yeah. when you got to the hot one. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it just all really started helped. with taxi driver jokes instead. Yes. I, I agree. Yeah, but it's it's definitely definitely up there. Definitely yep. up there. So a lot of good choices in here. A lot of good choices. And really random. We've saw we've just chosen relatively recent European cars, but obviously there are far, far more uh on the list. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Do you want to take us to the and finally? Yeah, and finally this week is actually it's from middle of December, to be honest. If people could write some more and finally type stories, we'd really appreciate it, everyone. Yes, the funny's gone out of the automotive world. It's been tough for the last couple of weeks. Come on, a little bit more left field, please, guys, everyone. Stop being so serious, man. <laughs> oh, no. uh, Nissan marked 35 years of production in, uh, in Sunderland. Uh, recently with a one-off electric Nissan Bluebird. It's essentially a Nissan Bluebird retro mod, he says through gritted teeth, which has the Nissan Leaf. It's it's like the best of Sunderland, which has a Nissan Leaf drivetrain uh, underneath its original F-plate. Uh, what's that, 1988 Nissan, Nissan Bluebird body and some stripes. The, so the, I mean, it's 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 an interesting one. It, it looks you do get the feeling that it's a bit you know the the really kind of cool Hyundai Grandeur mm. uh, concept recently. This isn't that. No, it's not retro modded with really gorgeous lighting and stuff like that. They it's, it's have not retro modded with nice things. It's just got thrown a in a battery and the power plant. <laughs> but on the other hand, I'm sure they probably had about three weeks to do it, and that's actually quite an impressive amount of engineering. Yes, uh, going on, uh, and I can certainly give or take, preferably give the, the 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 stripes. But it's cool. It's a great, fun little project. It'll be a fun one to keep in the museum, drive around, test it out, keep it in the museum for a little bit. Interesting, innovative talking point, which they didn't have to do, and they did light up the Nissan badge on the front. They did. They did. I think there's an awful lot of tongue in cheek about this. Yeah. I can imagine. It is, this is a fantastically tongue-in-cheek project, and I don't think it should really be taken that seriously. No, it, it is It is what you said. It is the best of Sunderland over 35 years. They have amalgamated it all into... Topping and tailing. Yeah. 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 Cool so. stuff. Excellent. Well done, Nissan. Good one. It makes so much, so much better than most of the times that we end up talking about Nissan, to be honest. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> nice to be lovely and positive about that. Parish Notes Special Edition came out last uh, Friday when we talked about the Tokyo Auto Salon. Really, it's a bit of a bit of a format test. See if you like it. It's in multiple different formats, uh, so it's available on YouTube as well as via your uh, as well as via your podcast playing platform. Different podcast players will show you different things. Sadly, but mm. hopefully. The pictures will change uh, in sync with what we're talking about, and you will be able to see those as you listen. So uh, a little bit, a little bit multimedia. Thank you so much for everybody who has given feedback. By the way, yes. I've not had anything other than highly positive feedback, which is brilliant. Thank you so much. It's very kind of you to take the take the effort to uh, to yeah. It's very kind of you to take the effort to actually bother to feedback really yep uh special edition coming out on friday i'm not going to read out the list of puns that has been written in my show notes here <laughs> uh just to say it is one of the most important cars that we have talked about quite a lot in the past but we've not actually driven 
Um, so that will be out on Friday. Mm-hmm. And that just about sums that up, unless you think I've forgotten anything, Andrew. Nope. Fabs, don't forget that between now and next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts for the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook, and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. I wonder if people would like to get in touch with you personally. What's the best way for them to do that? Best way, again, it's going to be Twitter, where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. We'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.